downstairs to share in some coffee and, and bagels and just to get to know uh, one another. Uh, again, as a reminder, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege of being the pastor here. Uh, and I love Sunday mornings, especially Sunday mornings like this. Uh, you guys have been proven to be the faithful crowd, even during a 10 o'clock Seahawks game. Uh, you are here, and God will bless you. Uh, well, go- I say that as a joke. God will bless us and those that aren't here as well. Uh, and so all that to say is I'm so glad you guys are here. We are continuing uh, in Romans chapter 5. Uh, and it's, a, it's, it's something we've been going through every single week in the Bible. We've been going through the book of Romans. Uh, and it's been so timely Especially in a week like this where I hate to start off a little bit somber and and, and in lament, but Romans chapter 5 addresses suffering. Uh, And as I look at and and reflect on this week, man, we've had a week in our country, not not only to mention uh, the shooting at the synagogue where many died and many were injured. There was another shooting where two African-American people were shot in a grocery store. There was another... Uh, shooting elsewhere, and all that to say is that all those things have one thing in common, and the commonality is hate. And we've been experiencing that firsthand uh, on what uh, and how extreme that can look. And it was interesting as I was preparing this message and then kind of listening to the news at the same time, and my hope is that uh, we will find hope, we will find peace, uh, as we continue and in, to even endure what is happening in our world, that we have something to, to stand strong upon. Uh, and so let me just read this. Uh, we start in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 1 through 5, and the word of the Lord says this. Let me just put it up there. If you have your Bible with you, you can read that. Otherwise, uh, you can just watch the screen with me. Therefore, Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope and sharing of of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Let me just pray for our time. God, thank you so much for the ways that you have loved us, even through our own mistakes, the ways that you've walked alongside us, even in the midst of our suffering whether it's in our own lives or or what we see in the world, on the news. God, we pray for the victims and families in Pittsburgh. God, that you would bring them peace, that you would just, just console them. God, we pray for the families that have lost two, uh, shot dead in a grocery store due to the color of their skin. God, we pray for the, the, the division in this world where there's bombs being planted uh, because people think differently than others. God, that is the world that we live in. Would you just enter that as you have and remind us that you are in control. 
We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, back during World War II, there was a man named Eli Wessel. uh, and, And he, as a young boy, and his family uh, were in a concentration camp in Auschwitz. And, and while this young boy named Eli was in the concentration camp, he witnessed a, a, a mock trial, if you will, in one of the barracks. And, and in this mock trial, there was a person uh, who was indicted. There, there, was, a, there was a person who was uh, on trial as a defendant. And in this time, during this trial, the person that was the defendant, the person that was being indicted, uh, was none other than God. And if you can see this picture, and I have one for you here, because uh, this, this recollection of Eli Wessel, this recollection of uh, God being on trial turned into a, a book, and then a play, and then a movie, and, and here's a scene where literally they're... they're in a trial where they're trying God. And, and you have to understand that these are these Jewish people who, who dedicated their lives to God, who dedicated their lives to the Torah, who dedicated their lives to the traditions and the rituals and, and, and a lifestyle that is honoring to Yahweh, their God. And yet for their belief, their conviction... They're essentially on death row. And so you can imagine uh, why they were filled with doubt and anger and hurt and pain, so much so that they literally put God on trial, asking God, are you really the God who loves us? Are you really the God who is for us? They'll never leave us. They'll never abandon us. And there was a moment in this trial around this scene where one of, the man, one of the men that put God on trial was throwing out so many things from the Bible. It says, God, if you are God, why is there innocent people dying? God, if you are God, why are there natural disasters? God, if you are God, why do good people get, uh, why do bad people get let off the hook and the good people have severe consequences? If you are God, why are these things happening in the world? And we can even imagine ourselves putting God on trial. I would imagine that even if you watch the news, even as you witness the things that you are experiencing yourself, we can resonate with this and we put God on trial. God, are you for real? And oftentimes, we, just like these people uh, in this concentration camp, come up with the same verdict. The verdict in this movie, in this story, was that God was guilty. God was guilty of lying, of not showing up, of not keeping covenants, that promise that God wasn't the God who they believed God to be, especially in their time of suffering. And so we're going to look at a few different things about suffering If you're a note taker, the first idea is that we all suffer. Suffering is a universal condition. 
And because suffering is such a universal condition, you've experienced it yourself, that oftentimes due to that suffering, we have also put God on trial. And many of us have also found God guilty of not showing up, of not being the compassionate God that God claims to be. Several years ago, I was working at a church on the east side, uh, and I met this guy who was one of the pastors who, who moved up from California, and, and we developed a really close bond with one another. We would complain together. We would celebrate together. I mean, we did life with one another, especially when we were working together as pastors in this church. And, and for those of you that don't know, uh, working at a church can be very stressful, And ultimately, he moved back to California where he was originally from, and he started working at a church with his dad where his dad was the senior pastor, and he was the son as, as I believe, an associate pastor, a youth pastor. And during this time, his dad got severely sick, and his dad had to step down because of his illness. And... At that point, they asked my friend, his name was Drew, to step up and say, I know you're just a youth pastor, but, but uh, the senior pastor needs to step down. Your dad needs to step down. You need to, take, uh, you need to step up and rise to the occasion. And so he steps up. And, and, you know, at this time, I remember how stressed out he was. I remember him saying, you know what, I don't know if I can handle this job. I don't know if I can do what my dad was doing. I mean, you have to understand that we were working at a smaller church. He goes down. He was a youth pastor. His dad steps down. He comes up of a church about, of about 5,000. I mean, he went from zero to 100 in a matter of seconds. And after three years, he was wrestling with, with depression and, and anxiety. Uh, and just last summer, he took a three-month sabbatical just to be with his family uh, he was young. He was in his young 30s, maybe 32 years old. He had three boys, none older than the age of five. So he said, I need to give back to my family. I need to be there. He had some panic attacks. He had some anxiety attacks. And the first week he came back, he said, I was ready. I'm ready to go. I can do this. And then the following week, he took his own life. And I look at this story or or, or witnessing of what happened to my friend. and, And I ask, man, God, this was a guy, a friend of mine, who gave his life to serving you. Who has a beautiful family, a wife and three kids who has almost sacrificed even them and, and even his social life and even his, some of you know, his other family to step up to serve your church. And yet there's this thorn in his flesh that was so deep and so painful that he, he thought that the only way out was to take his own life. I, I look at this story, even his family around, even his wife saying, God, where were you when here's this man who stepped up to serve you, not just, you know, to, to be a good Christian, but gave up his life to become a pastor? 
and the indictment was, God, you just, you just let him suffer. You just let him suffer in his own anxiety, in, in his depression. God, where are you? I know I asked that. I know his family asks that. And I know many of us in our own suffering, whether it be depression or anxiety or anything else, we have asked God, where are you? Because this idea of suffering is, is a universal condition. And maybe that's not you today, but maybe you experienced it before. Maybe you will experience it in the future. I mean, have you ever felt like you were just absolutely at the end of your rope? Have you ever made mistakes that changed the course of your life, that caused suffering as a consequence? Have you ever made, uh, have you ever felt utterly hopeless from the things, again, that you see on the news or on social media, and you say, man, there's so much suffering in this world? Have you ever felt a despair, again, from, from depression or anxiety? Have you ever felt loss and grief of a loved one? maybe even illness? Have you ever dreamt of a future and it failed to turn into reality? And in these moments of suffering, we question whether or not God has been telling the truth. And yet it's in these precise moments also Paul encourages his readers that we see in verse 3 to boast in our suffering. And I read that and I say, what? Paul says, and not only that, but we also boast. We find joy in other places, it says, in our sufferings. And I have to question Paul, like, are you out of your mind? What do you mean boast, find joy in our sufferings? Do you see what's happening in the world? And we have to understand what was happening in his world. Uh, as we talked about, and I would encourage you to listen to other sermons, because uh, I, I don't have time to go into the deep history of it, but in the 40s, there was an emperor uh, named Claudius who expels the Jews from Rome. This was in the 40s, uh, 40 AD. Uh, and the, the Jewish Christians, they, they had, they're expelled from Rome, uh, and after a few years, in the early 50 AD, uh, the emperor Claudius, he dies, and, and here's... Uh, a statue of him uh, in the Vatican. This was Emperor Claudius, uh, who kicked the Jews out, the Jewish Christians especially, out of Rome. After he dies, the, the, the Jewish Christians come back. And, and they come back to hostility uh, with the non-Jewish Christians that were still there, that lived life, that life for them continued while these Jewish Christians were kicked out. But after they came back, you can see the tension. You can imagine the tension saying, well, here's how we worship God. And the Jewish Christians would say, well, here's how I worship God. Here's the right way. And they would say, no, here's the right way. And there was so much hostility between the two groups. And, and, and Paul is saying that during this time, is that guess what? None of you guys are right. You guys have all missed the point. And Paul here offers a third, oh, the book of Romans is about Paul offering these two groups, hating one another, a third way. Saying, you're wrong, that's not the way. You're wrong, that's not the way. And he offers a third way. That though that they were all wrong, the reality was, the third way is this, it's all about Jesus. 
And only Jesus. Jesus plus nothing else. It's about Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, and nothing else. Well, the Jewish people would say, the Jewish Christians would say, it is about Jesus and these rituals and these traditions and all these things that we do to worship God. And the Gentile Christians would say, no, it's not about that. It's about, uh, you know, worshiping God through this icon, through this and through that. They had their own traditions, a variety of traditions, and saying, we worship God by this, plus this, plus this, plus this. The Jews would say it's Jesus, plus this, plus this, plus this. And Paul says, you guys are both wrong. It's about Jesus, plus nothing else. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you do. It's what Jesus Christ has already done on the cross for everybody, even sinners. Even those that don't live the perfect life, even those that don't have it all together, that is who Jesus died for. So so you don't have to do all these things that you feel like you have to do. This is the third way that Paul offers. And, And you see, though Paul understood something about these two groups, though these two groups felt like they had nothing in common, Paul understood that they had everything in common, not only their faith in Jesus, though they may not have it all right, but because of their faith in Jesus, these two groups were equally treated as second-class citizens under the Roman Empire. They were taxed unfairly. Many of them were used even in slavery. These Christians, whether Jewish or, or Gentile, they're discriminated against. And it only got worse under Nero. The, the, the Caesar that came after. Caesar just means emperor. <clears throat> it's a title. And Caesar was so evil that he would have Christians burn at the stake just to have light on the streets. And, but you have to understand that the Roman Empire didn't really care about <clears throat> a, a variety of religions. They would say, you can believe whatever you want as long as you would proclaim that Caesar is still Lord. Literally, the word Lord in Greek is the word Kyrios, saying that as long as you worship Caesar as Kyrios, you can believe anything and everything else. And what these two groups were saying as Christians were saying, you know what? There's a a new Kyrios. There's a new Lord, and it's not Caesar. It's Jesus. And it's that that what the Roman Empire had a problem with. And thus, the suffering enters into the picture. We see suffering in chapter 5 and and really all throughout, and even all throughout the New Testament because in the first century, these Christians were under severe persecution because of their beliefs. And it's not just a persecution that we would feel like maybe, you know, one would be antagonized or one would be outcast or one wouldn't be taken seriously or, or whatnot. This was a severe persecution, even many times to the point of death. And so they know a little something about suffering. Paul knows a little bit about suffering. He himself suffered. He went to prison for the beliefs that he had. And Paul has the audacity to say that in your suffering, and he's speaking to himself, he's speaking to the church, saying even in your suffering, because I know you've experienced suffering, that's something to be boastful about, to, to take joy in. And whether, Paul is saying, whether you are suffering uh, due to your faith or due to just life in general, 
One thing I don't want you to do is what Paul is saying is go back to your old ways. I mean, the whole book of Hebrews is dedicated addressing that problem. So what's happening is that uh, though they have faith in Jesus in their own ways, whether it's a Jewish Christianity way or whether it's a Gentile Christianity way, they worship Jesus in their own way. They call Jesus Kyrios, Lord, not Caesar. And because of that, they become punished. And Paul is saying, even in your suffering and being punished, be careful that you don't go back to your old ways. There was a tendency where the, Jews, the Jewish Christians would say, well, this isn't working. This isn't working. I'm being persecuted, punished for believing in God. And, and I would imagine many of these Jewish you know, Christians would actually be like the, the story of Eli Wessel and say, God, where are you? They, they would put God on trial. Where are you? You're not showing up, so I'm going back to my old way. The Gentile Christians, God, you're not showing up, so I'm going back to my old ways. And Paul is encouraging all of us in your suffering, in the church of Rome, our church today, in your suffering, don't go back to your old ways. And I would ask you this, in your troubles, what do you go to? What do you go to in your suffering? What do you go to in your in trials? What do you go to when things are just not going well or perfectly in your life? Is it alcohol? Is it destructive and toxic relationships? Is it uh, addiction? Is it your work? You become a workaholic? Is it Netflix? And I say that in, in regards to our own escapism. We, when there's problems, when there's suffering, we say, you know what? Let's just pretend it's never happening. Is that us? Is that you? Is that me? And I would submit to you, I would humbly submit to you that oftentimes when things go wrong, when things go wrong, not in our way, the reality is we go to the wrong source of hope. Just like these Jewish Christians, just like these Gentile Christians, we go to the wrong source of hope. When the reality is the only hope that we have is in Christ. Christ is our hope. Because if suffering is a universal condition, hope is offered to the universe. And I love Romans chapter 5 and 4 and 6. It talks about uh, those, though we were sinners, God offers us hope. This hope is accessible to Everybody. And in our suffering, there is hope that can only come through the person of Jesus. And what Romans chapter 5 is saying, whatever suffering you're going through, if you can measure the severity of how strong that element of suffering is, God's grace is that much more powerful and I know some of us, we walk into the church and saying, friends, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know what kind of cards I've been dealt with. And I want to honor that and say, you're right, I don't. But the reality is, I believe what the Bible has to say, which the Bible has to say is this. Whatever you're going through, though it sounds and feels and you can just sense the power in that suffering, Paul is saying, I promise you the power and the grace of God is that much more powerful than whatever you're going through. 
And what Paul is saying is this. In Romans chapter 5, again in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as, in, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all who, who have sinned. So Paul is saying this. Everybody has sinned. Okay? And because everybody has sinned, the result of that is suffering. And so those two things go hand in hand. But because of sin that results to suffering, there's a power that God offers that is more powerful and conquers sin and death. Again, suffering is a universal condition because it's a result of sin. And we've all sinned. We all have sinned. We will all Sin in the future. We've all experienced sin. And so as long as there is sin, there will be suffering that go hand in hand. But let me just say something real quick about sin, okay? Because a lot of us, we define sin uh, as naughty behavior, right? Oh, you're sinful. Oh, you did the wrong thing. You behaved badly or you did something evil. So therefore, you are a sinner. So we have that indictment on people. You, you are a sinner, because of your behavior, because of your naughty behavior. And, but let me just tell you this. The way that the Bible defines sin is this Greek word, amartia. And it literally just means missing the mark. It just means missing the mark. And, and the ancients, they got this word literally from archery. When if you didn't get a bullseye, you would miss the mark. And... and, and Certainly in life, we've all missed the mark. We've all sinned, literally just missing the mark of what God has in store for us, of God's best. We have missed the mark on that. This certainly means that we missed the mark because of our unhealthy decisions. We have missed the mark on God's best for our lives because we have made mistakes, because we have made naughty decisions, whatever you want to call it. Yes, that is true. And there's consequences that we reap because we have made these destructive and toxic decisions in our own lives. But sin, or missing the mark of God's best, maybe happens not only because we've made bad decisions, but because maybe somebody else made bad decisions. We experience a brokenness, a missing of the mark of God's best. Maybe we miss the mark due to the, to the fact that there's brokenness in the world due to natural disasters and illnesses and uncontrollable and foreseen, you know, destruction. And it's not just simply because we behave badly, but, but because sin is just a reality of our lives. And when I mean sin, I mean uh, missing the mark of God's best, whether it's because of our own actions or an action that's done to us due to somebody else. And even in previous chapters, which we talked about, all have sinned. All, the whole world have sinned. Meaning the whole world has missed out on God's best for whatever reason. And because there's sin, because we've all missed the mark on God's best, the result of that is suffering. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore... And I promised myself I would never say this on stage because I've heard it all growing up. Is that whenever you see the word, therefore, you got to ask yourself, why or is therefore, or what is therefore, therefore? So many of us have probably 
heard that if you've been around the church. But really, it's the reality is, uh, in chapter 5, Paul says, yes, we've all sinned. Because of that, we've all suffered. Remember, sinning isn't just us behaving badly. It's just the reality, the brokenness of the world that we all experience. We're all born with it. It's entered into the world. And so, therefore, we experience the suffering because of it. Therefore, because of that, Paul is saying, guess what? In the midst of that, that you can find hope. In the midst of that, you can find joy. In the midst of that, you can find transformation. And Paul explains it as a process. It, does, it doesn't happen just automatically. It's a process by which suffering transforms to hope. Essentially from heartache to joy, from death to life, from just breathing to be fully alive. We can experience a hope through a process. Boasting in our suffering can actually happen. Because there's sin, a brokenness in the world, we receive suffering. Therefore, because of that, we can still experience a boastfulness in suffering that turns into endurance, that turns into character, that turns into hope. Notice that Paul isn't saying you, in the midst of your suffering, you can just jump to hope. That doesn't happen. That's not the way it works. Paul's saying the way it works is in your suffering, your suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And it's through that you experience hope. It's a process. It's a journey. See, we suffer. And out of that suffering, there's an endurance. And the word endurance comes from a word called hupomone. It's a Greek word that they use in the ancient times. And it's two words combined. To be under. So hupo, uh, we even get the word uh, hypo, like hypoglycemic. Uh, your blood sugar level is under. And so we get the word, they get that word from hupo. So to be under and menos or mone means to remain. And so this idea of endurance, the original word, is hupomone, to remain under. To remain under. In your suffering, what Paul is saying, the next thing you do is just to remain under Christ. Let Christ be over you. Let Christ cover you. Let Christ soak you with his love and his compassion and his peace and the hope that Christ offers In the midst of our suffering, no matter what that is, may we remain under Christ. And let Christ be a safe place of protection. Of protection. In Romans uh, chapter 5, again, verse 18, it says this, Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, Ultimately, we're saying because of sin that entered the world, we've all have been plagued with, with sin. And because we've all been plagued with sin, we've all been plagued with suffering in our lives one way or another. Because of that, one man's act of righteousness, righteousness leads to justification and life for all. And verse 20 says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
in our suffering, in our sin, though that has entered the world, though you experienced it, which we call sin, Christ's grace and love has abound that much more. I mean, if we just use metrics, if this is a level of power you can ascribe to a level of suffering or sin that you might have in your life, then Christ's grace and love and, and healing is that much more. If it's here, it's that much more. If it's here, it's that much more. It's that much more than anything you can experience. Just remain, just endure in Christ. Do you think the depth of darkness is too much? Many of us, yes. God's grace is much more powerful. You think the situation that you're in is absolutely hopeless. God's grace is much more powerful. You think there can never be healing in whatever situation. God's grace is much more powerful. By remaining under Christ produces endurance. That's what endurance is, to just remain under and be consistent and just to allow Christ do what Jesus does best, which is to produce character, meaning it gives you strength to move forward. I mean, you can take this in any analogy, especially in physical exertion. I'm not going to use a CrossFit reference because every time I do, I get made fun of after service saying, you always talk about CrossFit. But you can even think about in sense of running. I'm not a huge runner, but many of us, we understand the, the aspect of running. Uh, and yes, running and CrossFit can be very different. Uh, probably in the same family, but still different. But just bear with me here. I'm speaking out of my own experience. Running can be a sense of suffering. If you're like me, that is absolutely true. But what do you do? Let's say, you know, you train for a marathon. You don't just show up to a marathon and you run. This is how bad I am. X amount of miles. All right? 30-something miles. You don't just show up and run a bunch of miles. Okay? You, it just, it's unrealistic. Maybe uh, somebody can. But, but for the most part, 99% of us, we can't just show up from not running to running a marathon. You can't do that. 26, okay, so almost, <laughs> almost 30, just under 30, all right? You know what, 26, 36, at that point, it's all the same. It's suffering, okay? So you show up to a marathon. You don't just run a marathon 26.2. See, we got some runners in here. You understand. You can't just do that. You have to train, and maybe you run this many miles a day at one point. In the middle, you increase that, and towards the end, you increase that even more. And so there's a sense of just remaining under your training, maybe even under your coach, or, or under some kind of regimen where you just keep going, and ultimately, that suffering actually doesn't feel like suffering anymore. It gets better and better, and you can move forward towards that goal of running and finishing that marathon, you might move from the stage of, wow, this stinks, to, wow, this is becoming easier. And not only is it just becoming easier, but I'm learning something in the process. I'm becoming a better, in this case, a better runner, a stronger runner. But you can name whatever suffering that you might name. And when you remain in Christ, knowing that Christ is the only hope for the world because of our sin, because of our suffering, that because we are remaining in Christ, that Christ has something for us there. 
That even in our suffering, that when we endure, that endurance produces character. Character meaning, all right, I'm learning something. I'm growing in this. I'm becoming a better, quote unquote, runner, stronger, more endurance, whatever it is. The question is, God, what do you have for me in this suffering? And I love the song that we sang. I didn't even know we were going to sing that song. God, you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things. God, even in our suffering, even in your suffering, you can fill in the blank of whatever that is. In that time of suffering, God, you make beautiful things. And may we just remain under that belief and that faith. And that's what brings us hope. I love uh, what Viktor Frankl says. He says, in some ways, Suffering actually ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. Suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds its meaning. And many of us, we can look back in hindsight and say, yes, that was a moment where I was suffering, I was going through tribulation, I was going through trials, and it was just a very dark season of my life. And at the time, and many of us can say this, at the time I didn't want to say, man, God, what do you have for me? Oh, God, this could actually be a good thing. Maybe it's in hindsight we can look back and say, man, because I went through that and I've endured, I've become stronger. Uh, I've learned something about myself. I've learned something about God. I've learned something about life. I've learned ways to even help others. To even help others. God, what do you have for me in this? As you remain under Christ and when you find the answer, when you find the answer to, God, what do you have for me here, like what Viktor Frankl says, it's no longer called suffering. It's called finding meaning. It's called building character. It's called moving forward. Because again, character produces hope. And I love verse 5. I love verse, this is what I think we should all cling on to, is this, hope does not disappoints. Don't you love that? Hope, in verse 5, it says, does not disappoint. Whatever you're going through in your time of suffering and darkness and anxiety and depression and addiction and loss and grief and whatever it is, in the midst of suffering, the plea that Paul has for all of us, especially to his audience, where they're just being persecuted for their faith, is to endure, to no matter what, endure in Christ, remain under Christ, look to Christ for strength and joy and peace. And that builds character. And slowly, Jesus reveals things in that moment of suffering. And the result of our suffering and finding hope is peace. We go back to verse 11, and it says, but more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
See, you have to understand that the peace that, Jesus, that Paul is talking about in verse 1, it says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace. Irenaeus is the Greek word that's translated uh, from a Hebrew word, shalom. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have found shalom with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The result of our suffering through our endurance, through our character, through our hope is undergirded in us finding peace that transcends all understanding, is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. The result is shalom, it's peace. And you have to understand that the Bible defines peace in a very different way. For us, peace is merely the absence of conflict. And if peace is the absence of conflict, the fact and the reality is in our lives, it's going to be rare that we find peace because rarely is our life absent of conflict. But when we are in right relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled. That you have to understand that as sin was birthed into the world, there was a separation between us and God. And because there's a separation of us and God, there produces suffering. Therefore, Paul says, because there's suffering, endure, remain. Because that builds character. And that builds hope. And then we experience peace. And that peace comes because we have been reconciled. Though that there's been a separation that causes sin, that causes suffering, well, Paul's saying God offers a reconciliation. What once was broken, what reconciliation means, there's a connection, a reconnection, a healing within this relationship. And because of that reconciliation that we have with God through the person of Jesus, we can experience peace. And this peace, this shalom, not just this English definition of peace, this Hebrew understanding of peace, it doesn't require an absence of conflict. And that's good news for us. And the good news is this, that there's something very paradoxical about this, that even in our most darkest and hardest and most chaotic seasons of our life, you can still experience shalom, a harmony inside and out because what was once broken was no match for the reconciliatory power of grace and the gift that we have through the cross of Jesus when the last words he says was it is finished your suffering it is finished your despair it is finished your suffering and your pain and your hurt no longer has the last word in your life. Shalom, a harmony with God. Love has the last word. Do you want peace? Do you want shalom? Remain under Christ even in the midst of your suffering. Will you endure? Because through your endurance, remaining under Christ, as Christ is our king, as our healer, as our God, God reveals to us what this suffering is all about. 
And that produces hope, which produces peace no matter what you are going through. I love at the, at the end of this mock trial in, in literally this, this movie, this book is called God on Trial. After the final verdict, they said, God is guilty. And then another man in this barrack courtroom says, in desperation, after hearing God is guilty, this person says, okay, then what do we do now? What do we do now? And the person who said God is guilty, his response was, now we pray. Now we pray. He believed that no matter what they were going through, that God was with them. God doesn't always eliminate problems in our life. Because if God did, there would be no opportunity for endurance, for character, for hope, and for peace. And there's this paradoxical thing that suffering is almost necessary, or at the very least, I don't want to stand by that theologically, but but suffering is, is always used to grow us and strengthen us. And that even in the midst of trials and tribulations, that even though there's moments in our lives where we say that God is guilty of not being there for us, what do you do? Like this man asked, well, what do we do now? And the answer is pray. In other words, the answer is stay and remain under Christ, that even though this is happening, Christ is with you. Christ isn't always like, like a shield where it just protects you from everything that can possibly go wrong. And if we're using this imagery of battle, I would say more than a shield, Christ is like a foxhole. That though things uh, are happening, chaos and evil and pain are happening, you're in this foxhole, and in that foxhole is Christ with you. Where you can still possess Shalom. Again, Eli Wessel, in one of his memoirs, he's talking about his experience, continues talking about his experience in Auschwitz. And he saw a boy who was hung with, with two other men. The other man died instantly because of their weight. This boy died after a few days because his body was so light. And he says in this memoir that his faith died when that little boy died. And many have interpreted uh, that as saying, well, yeah, that per- Eli Wessel no longer had faith because of the atrocities that he saw. But others interpreted it as not, not that Eli Wessel's faith died, but was that in the midst of suffering, Christ was there. Christ was with that boy in his suffering. Suffering does not have the last words. God's power is much more powerful than even the darkest seasons and the sins, the brokenness in your life. And I love in in verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, everybody has access to this grace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained grace 
access. You have access to this. I have access to this. We can receive peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. No matter how hopeless you believe your life is, we have access to that. And as we respond to this, I'm going to invite the the band to come back to, to end us in a couple songs. But in the midst of this song, you can stand, you can sit, you can sing, you can pray, you can meditate. But I want you to ask yourself, where do you need hope? Where do you need hope? Where do you need to allow God to do what God does best, which is reconciliation, bringing brokenness into wholeness, bringing peace, bringing shalom into the place of darkness? Is there a place in your life where you have indicted God of being guilty of not showing up? I know I have. I'd be the first person to confess that I know I have. Have you? I mean, can, can you blame one another? Can you blame me? I mean, can, can these people, you know, on trial, can they blame? Can you blame them for believing this? Not really. Not really. But in the midst of us, may we be a people that endure, that remains under Christ, knowing and believing that Christ will come through, that his death and resurrection It's a story that tells us that death does not have the last word. And let me encourage you and remind you that even in your life, we live in the life of Christ's resurrection. That death does not have the last word. That is true for your life. That is true for my life. That is true for everybody because we all have access to life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and who you are in the times where we experience suffering in our own lives and the lives of others God we know that you care and may we be reminded just to endure to endure remaining under you so God I pray for those in this room that are hurting God I pray for those that are in pain right now God, I pray for those that just have reached the end of their rope. Will you give them peace? Will you give them a shalom, a harmony that is not contingent upon what is happening externally? God, may we as a community be reminded that you make beautiful things out of dust. Dust. 